Okay, let me get this out of the way. I didn't steal that donkey, okay? I, I borrowed it. And, and it wasn't even my idea. Jesus told me to take it, to, to, to borrow it, right? Um, okay, this is, this is how it happened. Um, earlier today, there was a large group of us, and we were traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem. We stopped just outside the city, and Jesus looked at two of us, and he said there was an unridden donkey just inside the village and asked us to go get it. He said if anybody, you know, asked us about it, we could just look at him and say, the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back. So the two of us beat it into town, and the whole time we were like, what is Jesus going to do with a donkey, right? But by this point, we realized you don't second-guess Jesus, right? He hadn't told us why, and we didn't ask. We just got him a donkey. And when we got back, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, what it, uh, that's what it happened. Um, some people put their coats on the donkey, and Jesus got on the donkey and um, <laughs> when he got on the donkey, <laughs> I don't know. It's like um, everyone started shouting and dancing and singing. And um, some people were throwing their coats in front of the donkey. There, there was, there was uh, some of us that grabbed some palm branches and we started waving them in the air. And that's when it clicked. Jesus had finally arrived. Um, I know that sounds weird. That's it. No, it's, it's like this. Um, in the past, we would get excited because Jesus would do something, a miracle, or he, there would be some parable, or something he said. We'd get excited about it. And Jesus would always be like, shh, come on, guys. No, 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 nope. Just be quiet, you know? And then we'd come up with some idea. Hey, let's do this or let's do that. And Jesus would, would be like, no, guys, no, not, not now. Not now. But today? <laughs> today was now. Today, he finally let us shout and sing and dance and treat him like the Messiah that we'd all been waiting for finally showed up. <laughs> At almost any level of life, an unexpected or an unmet expectation uh, really stinks, no matter where it is, no matter what it is. And uh, for our little opening in introduction, uh, the disciples kept waiting for Jesus to be Jesus, for the, him to be the celebration that he, they knew he was. And as they waited and as that expectation was not met, it, it really stunk. But then eventually it takes place, even just for a moment. And, you know, again, at any level, something unplugged? Kind of unplugged. Whoops, wrong side. Thank you. <laughs> now I must sound ten times better. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Ignore the person behind the curtain. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, those, um, whatever those expectations are at any level, they, they, really, they really seem to uh, just really stink and they really bother us. And when you and I get a mouthful of an expectation that doesn't really taste good, that doesn't sit well in our mouth, uh, most of us want to get it out of our mouth as quickly as possible. And uh, just uh, this past week, this happened to us. Um, Cindy and I uh, like uh, soda water, seltzer water. And uh, we'd also been reading that uh, if you got club soda or tonic water, that uh, it actually helps you with muscle cramps in the middle of the night. And I know I'm getting old, and every once in a while I wake up and I get this Charlie horse. I'm like, oh, you know, you know. And Cindy's like, baby, baby, you know. And I'm like, oh, it's killing me. But anyway, and it, by the way, you don't need to come after church to tell me all your homespun remedies, you know. I'm, I'm okay. But, but anyway, but uh, yeah, drink this, don't eat this. Anyway, but anyway. So, so anyway, so she got tonic water, and there's some things in that tonic water that supposedly are supposed to make it better. But uh, tonic water with just a piece of lemon or a piece of lime is disgusting. And uh, no wonder they, I think they put gin in with it or something. But anyway, it's really not good. So I'm, I'm, I, I, and I'm a cheap guy. So, you know, she bought two of these bottles. So anyone who wants this after church, it's theirs. I, I really don't feel good pouring it down the drain. But, uh, you know, once you have one expectation in your mind and you get something else, it's just not a good experience. And if it's something like food, you spit it out. Uh, how many of you were ever tricked in thinking that black licorice actually is candy? It is not candy. It's medicine. I don't know what it is. I'm still not working right, I guess. Oh, they're going to switch batteries out on me. Here we go again. Let's see, what are we? Oh, closing prayer. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I got you for a second, huh? Boy, they're like, yes, that's the best sermon ever. Okay, so we're talking about uh, black licorice. And somehow, somehow someone says that's candy and you eat that and go, you know, th this is just terrible stuff. Uh, anytime you and I have an expectation, an unmet expectation, whatever it is, and uh, especially when it's food and we put it in our mouth, we, we want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. And uh, we want to distance ourselves from it. And that doesn't only happen with food, but it happens in life in general. Uh, we have a, uh, an unmet expectation, whether it's in a person. We think the person's going to behave a certain way, act a certain way, and, and they don't. Uh, maybe we have an expectation for our marriage. And a couple years in, we find out, wait a minute, this kind of taste doesn't taste too good in my mouth anymore. Uh, maybe it's a job. Uh, maybe it's a, a relationship. Whatever it may be, we have these unmet uh, expectations. And when, when we get them into our lives, we find that we want to really back off them as quickly as possible. Now, sometimes our expectations are, um, are just uh, unrealistic. 
Uh, the expectations are off. They're, they're not, not, not realistic. They're not fair. They're not honest. They're not whatever. And we have these expectations, and, and they don't fit. Just the same way as we're, as we're looking at uh, Palm Sunday today, we're going to see that uh, the expectations, they, they, were, they were off a little bit, and, uh, and, and they weren't right. And so when you and I think about our expectations, we do need to ask ourselves, is this a, is this a legitimate expectation? But once you've gotten through that and, and you're experiencing it and it just, it just doesn't feel right, it doesn't taste right, most of us want to back off. And one of the things with Palm Sunday is we see that playing out in, in, in a big way. You see, the people had been waiting for a Messiah. They had been waiting for a king. And they had been waiting for this king for a long, long time. We're talking thousand plus years. Even all the way back in Moses' day, uh, there's a little hint, and there's hints in the Older Testament all over the place uh, to this Messiah. Really, the Older Testament just continues to point to Jesus and the need for Jesus. And we see this right back in uh, Deuteronomy 18, 15. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now, most of us might read over that and not catch it, but theological uh, scholars would say this is a verse pointing to Jesus. And it's saying that someday somebody's going to come on the scene and you need to listen up to him. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be among you. So, so they had this anticipation. Very familiar passage. Uh, we're going to see it a couple times this morning, but this comes out of Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so they were holding on to this. This was, this was a part of their culture. They were a part of their expectations that, that someday this Messiah, this one would come. It would come from within. He would be a son of David. There's some connection there. He would be a king. He'd have righteousness, uh, the idea of salvation. A lot of us uh, who are in church world think of salvation in terms of um, getting our heart right with Christ, through Christ and, and, and saying yes to, yes to Christ and, and having this relationship with God. When they think of salvation, they do think of being right with God, but they're just thinking in general of protection, that someone's going to save them. And if any time in uh, Israel's history as a nation, they needed saving, they needed a king, they needed a king that would be king and a gentle king, but would still be a king. They needed him. The Romans were oppressive, and they, they just wanted that so badly. So there's this expectation. Uh, the disciples, those close to Jesus, are, are thinking that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. You saw the little opening. They're, they're, just, they're just delighted. But what we're going to see is that when an expectation is unmet, when it gets in our mouth and it doesn't taste right, we want to get rid of it. And some of us, some of us, when we think about church world, when we think about faith, when we think about religion, all those kinds of things, you know, we've tasted it, and it tasted like tonic water, not seltzer water. 
that tasted like black licorice. And, and for various reasons, we wanted to get rid of it. Uh, maybe it was the way things were growing up. Maybe it was the hypocrisy we saw. Maybe it was the fact that uh, it, just, it just didn't make sense once we got older. Uh, maybe we're here this morning and it just, it's just, it just does not make sense to us that there's this personal God. Yet, that expectation is out there. And again, back to the disciples. They're in this place where they're, they're hoping, the people are hoping, and uh, that's where we find ourselves in, in Matthew uh, chapter 21. Now, I want to do something a little differently than we normally do, is that there's this, there's this thing called the visual Bible. And what I love about the visual Bible is it reads right from the book of Matthew. You're going to see in the right-hand corner the chapter and the verse, so there's no extra words in there, but they make it visual. And it gives us a little bit more of the feeling of what is going on. Now, it's a, it's a few years older, so the, the quality of the video isn't the best. But, but, I, but I want you to see it because I don't want you to just read it. I, I want you to experience it. So watch again as we see uh, Matthew uh, chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her cold fire. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee.
So the city is just unhinged. The Messiah has come. Deliverance has come. There's going to be peace. The imagery of the, of the donkey is that peace will eventually be the way of the land. All that's going through their minds. They see that he, they expect he is the answer. And again, a part of that answer is overthrowing the Roman government, being free again, being their own nation. And so they're just so celebrating. That idea of Hosanna uh, comes from Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. It says, O Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And, and this was just, they, they, they just, they, this was the day. And their expectations were there. Think of your own life. Think of when you have expected something fantastic and it seems to be unfolding right before your very eyes. Maybe it is that ideal job. Maybe it is you're getting married after maybe a failed marriage and it was horrible and it wasn't great and now you're getting married and it's fantastic. Whatever it may be, that expectation, it's all unfolding before your very eyes, that excitement, that satisfaction, that is what's going on in that city in that moment. They're all gathered because it's Passover, so the city is just overflowed with people. The devout followers of God are there, so they, they know all these passages. So again, they're just, they're just so excited the disciples, as you've already heard, there have been times where uh, Jesus had really made some dramatic statements, some wow moments, and he had kind of minimized them. Let's, let's get away because I'm afraid they're going to make me king. And then all of a sudden, this is the moment. He must be ready to become king. All these expectations. But then everything changes. Everything sours. And just a few days later, Many of them, not all of them, but many of the same people who had those expectations unmet change their tone, their idea. Yeah, even the disciples will eventually run from him because their expectations are met. They, they, they don't want Jesus hurt, but, but he just, just must have not been the one. But the crowds go from Hosanna to this. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Ask the governor. They answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered. Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I 
am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, What an extreme change. On some level, the same thing can happen to you and I, whether we're convinced or unconvinced about who Jesus is. When he doesn't live up to our expectations, when our expectations on him are unmet, we may, we may not yell, crucify him, but we certainly back off from him. We certainly pull back because who we thought he was in our lives doesn't transpire. It doesn't happen. So some of us give up on this thing called church, this king on faith, and, and we pull back and then occasionally get reintroduced and then we pull back again because of that unmet expectation. And then there are some of us who, who just walk out and never come back. Because that expectation was unmet. It, was, it, it, just, it just didn't pan out the way we expected it to. So we get the taste in our mouth and we spit it out as quickly as we can. And then there's some of us, and I, I've been in this camp that uh, would say I'm following Christ, but he still hasn't met my expectations. And so I go through the motions. I want to serve him but I don't completely want to lean into him. I want to hold back a little bit because I've been disappointed once, twice, three times, and I don't want to be disappointed again. So I hold back. I lean away from him. So when things start to transpire in my life and unfold in my life, and I might have had this expectation of him coming alongside and, and taking care of things, now I don't even lay that at his feet, if you will, because I, I don't expect him to do anything. So I keep my relationship with him. I keep my connection with him friendly, but not close. You see, we can be just like those folks finding themselves completely disappointed with Jesus, with God. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like our expectation causes us to, to feel like uh, uh, he never exists, at least for us in the real world. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, often the God we expect never abandoned us. He never existed. And so when we're thinking about these expectations, we have to come to this place where we realize that sometimes our expectations are not really who he is. The disciples fall into that place. They love Jesus. They want the best for Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. But then as everything transpires and as we do a Good Friday remembrance and then come back for Easter Sunday next week, they go through a metamorphosis where there's a place where they go back and start fishing because unmet expectations. And Jesus was a good teacher. He's a good rabbi, good communicator, healed some people, but he really wasn't who he said he was. So they, it's almost like he didn't exist. And so, sometimes we can be that way. And uh, what we're going to look at real quickly is, um, and then we'll get into some other things, but uh, Andy Stanley, uh, and you've probably heard this in different packages in different ways. I've, I've spoken at this uh, called, you know, sometimes labeled God different things. But uh, basically the idea is that, that sometimes you and I 
put expectations or have, have developed a picture of God that isn't really who he is. And we have these expectations. And we really believe this is the way God ought to function. This is the way he ought to, his, he, he ought to intersect into my world. And then when he doesn't show up that way, we're left disillusioned. We're left very uncomfortable. And again, as I said, some of our responses, is we just give the whole thing up. Some of us keep one foot in and just lean enough to kind of be a Christian Christ follower, but both legs aren't in, both feet aren't in because, because we don't want to be set up to have them let us down. Sometimes it even affects the things we pray about. But what has happened is we have drawn him in a box, put him in a box, or have a characteristic of him that's not really real. And if we were to look at uh, the writings of his disciples and those to follow him, we would see that some of these ideas, some of these expectations are nowhere to be found in those pages of their writings. Yet somehow we have adopted and said, this is the way God should be in my life. And then when our expectations are unmet, we either back off completely or at least keep our heart guarded and protected because we don't want to be set up like that again. First one that uh, is mentioned is this idea, and you may have heard of this, is the idea that God is a bodyguard God. And uh, as long as we do what we're supposed to do, then God's going to take care of us. Then nothing bad is going to happen. If you're a good person, good things happen. If you're a bad person, sorry to be you. But if you're a good person, you know, things should go all right. Things should go smoothly along. And so we expect that's the way God's going to function. And then all of a sudden, there's cancer in our life. All of a sudden, relationships, our marriage, our, our kids, something at work, uh, it happens. And all of a sudden, we say, where's this protection? Where, where's this God that protects us? And then we're, 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 we're all upset because God isn't there for us. All of us could think of those stories. But the reality is, as we put an expectation on him, that he never even put on himself. He never claimed that himself. I mean, if we go back to Jesus, the person we're saying we're following, if we're a Christ follower, he, he died. His earlier followers all seemed to die. So, so where is that bodyguard? There is no bodyguard, God. That, that's, a, that's an unrealistic expectation. That's, that's making God into somebody he never, ever claimed to be. So if you feel uncomfortable with how God has protected you or not, you know, and let things into your life or however you want to say it, and now you've walked away and say, I'm not, you know, that God doesn't exist, that, that's a good thing because that God doesn't exist. Again, you look at the... All, basically all the disciples died for their faith. And so if anyone would have experienced the bodyguard guard, it would have been them, wouldn't it? But no, some of us know stories about people that are super faithful, we would say. And then tragedy hits, and we just don't understand. Uh, and, and that view is out there. 
It, it's, a, it's a popular concept of God, and, and sometimes it's used a little bit as a smoke screen, uh, that, that because good, bad things happen to good people, there must not be this God who loves, so I'm just backing off, and I'm not even going to, I'm just maybe, maybe not, but I'm not getting involved with that. You see, our expectations, we get that taste in our mouth, and the taste wasn't what we expected, and we run off. I was talking to a friend of mine who, knew, who, who uh, you know, my story of that one six-month period, having a major fall and then coming down with uh, blood cancer, which I still have, and I still take chemotherapy medicine every morning, and uh, it's, it's working, it's doing what it's supposed to do, and all those kinds of things. And so my friend's talking with another co-worker at work, and somehow he knew the story. You know, that pastor in Rome, he goes, boy, bad luck for him. And, 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 the, and the co-worker couldn't understand why those two things could even happen. You know, two things like that happen in six months. You know, what's going on there? Because, again, they've bought into the fact that God is a bodyguard. God, not the case. Not the case. So... If that's some of your disappointment, if that's some of your ex expectations, put it out of your mind because that's not who he is. Paul died horribly. If the bodyguard was going to show up, it should have showed up for Paul, at least. I mean, yeah, at least him, but it doesn't. Uh, another uh, one is the on-demand God. And this kind of rides out that, you know, that, that God is just kind of like on demand. You know, it's like Netflix. You know, you want what you want. You click it on, and there you got it. Got it instantaneously. As long as my request is fair and, and, and not selfish, God should step in. Uh, many of us who have been a part of faith world for a while have had those moments where there's somebody we absolutely love and cherish. And they're going through hard times, whatever they may be. And, and, it, and, it, and it's rocked us to a core. Right now, I have, a, I have a dear, someone who's very dear to me who's going through some really hard times, and I found myself up last night a few times thinking about it and praying about it. And, and there's, there's no reason why God shouldn't just step in there and, and, and fix it. But he may not. doesn't mean I shouldn't pray about it. But this idea that on-demand God, so it's a legitimate request, you know, it, it, should, just, it should just happen. Uh, it's kind of funny, this, again, this, this view is out there, out there so much that uh, even in the movie Almighty God or Almighty Bruce, uh, we, see, we see this scene where, where Bruce is now taking on the role of God and he's got this prayer request problem. So just watch this. You've got prayers. Welcome to the Revelation Superhighway. With less, no mess. Downloading now. It's <laughs> good. It's good. This is gonna take a while. Oh. One million five hundred twenty-seven thousand five hundred and three prayer requests. Okay, I had to make some kind of a dent by now. <laughs> 
bunch of whiners. This is gonna suck a whole life. Yes, to all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now everybody's happy. <laughs> and that creates all kinds of other problems. He said yes to all. So that idea that we can just act, and he's just going to be there. Nowhere in the writings of those close to Jesus, those who followed him, nowhere is there this promise of this on-demand God. And yet sometimes we hold on to that view, that's our expectation. And when it doesn't unfold in our lives, we give up. And we say, wow, some, something's wrong. We, we have that taste in our mouth and, and we want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. There's also this idea of boyfriend, girlfriend God. And the idea of this is that God will be present and will be aware of his presence all the time. Sometimes in a worship service, you kind of sense God's presence and it feels great. And other times you don't. Sometimes we're jealous of the person that seems to be sensing God's presence all the time. And you're like, man, they seem to always be aware of God's presence, you know, and, and that's awesome. Where, where is, where, why, don't, why don't I experience that? Where, where, is, where is that in my life? It's like the idea that when you have a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and sometimes we've had those girlfriend, boyfriends that kind of like latch onto your arm and they're always there. I remember dating one girl in high school that uh, if, if we went out and we were out with other friends and she wasn't like right next to me on my arm, she was mad at me afterwards. Why didn't you do that? You know what I mean? I always knew she was around. So great when I finally met Cindy, I could, I could go someplace and I wasn't going to get chewed out because we kind of went out and visited because she had to be right there all the time. Boyfriend, girlfriend, girl, God. And, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are dark nights of the soul. There's books after book written. A lot of these guys are these dead guys from like three, four, five hundred years ago that have written about the night the dark night of the soul where, where a month goes by, six months goes by, a year goes by, two years, and they're, they're following God, but they don't feel his presence. They don't have the, the little chills down their spine like sometimes we have when we hear the national anthem or sometimes in the middle of a cool movie and the, and the hero comes through to save the day. And it sounds really weird. I go, wow, that's cool. I have like chills down. That was awesome. You, you know, and, but that's not showing up in my spiritual life. So something must be wrong. My expectations. Well, well, God never promises to be that kind of God. So when we have those expectations, uh, we're going to find ourselves uh, let down. We're going to find ourselves having that taste in our mouth and, and, and we want to get rid of it. There's also this idea of guilt God, that, that, that God just is just waiting to say no about everything. Oh, something looks like fun. No. Some of those are friends. No, 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 no. He's always saying no to us. And, and, and he wants to control us. And it's all about kind of making life miserable. Uh, someone one time said it. It's like God loves me, but he doesn't like me. And uh, so he's just kind of that kind of God. I, I remember one time uh, speaking and uh, uh, there was this, this family that was a part of the church. And she, her dad had been the pastor for 20 years, maybe 20 years earlier. And uh, so, you know, she was, you know, like one of these pillars of the church kind of thing and and one time she comes up to after i'm speaking and she comes up and she goes she goes dave that was the best sermon ever I'm like 
like, okay, thank you. And she goes, you made me feel so guilty. And when I feel guilty, I feel close to God. I'm like, what? That's crazy. She equated feeling bad about herself. So she wanted to guilt God. But, but God is, God's not about that. Yes, God's going to lead us, convict us, direct us. But he's not a guilt God. And uh, as soon as we can get back and away from that kind of expectation, the better. There's grace. There's joy in following Christ. There's completeness. There's satisfaction. It's not about uh, responding, in a sense, to a guilt God. Another one is anti-science. Some of us have been brought up to believe that if it's science, it's wrong. It's God. It's, it's, it's this whole mystery thing. It's the unexplainable. And, and, and there's this battle between accepting science and not accepting science. And if you, if you agree with science, you know, and there's just this battle going on. But if we actually went back and looked at who the first great scientists were, we would see that many of them were Christ followers. And as they looked at creation, as they looked at the world around them, they saw God's design on everything. And so they wanted to investigate it. They wanted to tear it apart and see how God put it together. So some of us uh, feel like we're in conflict. We go off to, to college. We go off to school. And all of a sudden, we get into this place. Either I have faith or I have science. The two don't connect. And then sometimes we as parents, sometimes we as, 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 as you know, faithful Christians have kind of presented that. Science bad, God good. Well, science just reveals the handiwork of God. You know, and sometimes the things we get so upset with about are, are just crazy. You, you know, I, I will say I'm a literal six-day creation person. My father does not think it was six days. He thinks each day was longer. It doesn't really matter, does it? It's a miracle. If it took six trillion billion years to create all of this or six literal days, does it? It's, it's amazing. Somebody made it. And in most science, they see there was a beginning, there was a start, there was nothing, then there was something. And, and who would we say that would be? That would be God. God got it going. He made it. The discovery of DNA, I remember when it first came out hearing some people go, oh, the way DNA is set up, oh, that's, that's taking something away from, no, it's amazing. When you start to hear and learn about the, the, um, just the detail, to me it says designer, creator. So, so when you and I make anti-science and all this kind of things, we have an expectation that just sets us up uh, for, for, for a bad taste in our mouth. It's also this idea of a gap God, this idea that whenever there's a mystery, whenever there's something unexplainable, uh, you, you know, that, that means that's, that's God. If it's unexplainable, it's God. But the problem with our world today is more things are getting explained. And, and, and just because, again, everything can be explainable doesn't mean there is a God. It, it shows his handiwork. It shows his, um, just amazed by it, amazed that intelligent design seems to be a part of things. Even some people that would say, uh, no God, no anything, they, they see a design. Sometimes the ones on the real fringe say, well, it must have been some kind of alien race from some other place that kind of got things going because they, they see design. So there's design. 
this idea of gap and mystery and all of that. So you and I, whether we're a convinced Christ follower, somewhere in between or unconvinced, sometimes lay out gods like this, and we could come up with seven, ten, whatever, come up with these ideas that, that, that are not presented really anywhere. And so then we hold on to this idea, whatever it may be, and we say, we hold on to it, and then when the expectation doesn't match up, we walk away. Well, we, we shouldn't be holding on to any of these gods because they're, they're no gods. They don't exist. So have to be in that same place back in Palm Sunday where, where again, the disciples weren't getting it. Their, their expectation was off. And because of their expectation is off, they, many of them, again, as I said earlier, go out and go fishing once Jesus has, has been killed. Because it, it didn't seem like he was the Messiah. I guess he wasn't. Good man, liked being around him, but wasn't the Messiah. You see, we have to realize that when our expectation is not met, there's a hole and we fill it. And we either fill it with trust, we fill it with suspicion, or something worse. And when I say trust, it doesn't mean just, just this, this belief in belief. It means faith in something that happened. It means faith in a God that is in motion. And next week when we celebrate Easter Sunday, we're, we're going we're gonna to celebrate that something happened. That's why church is on Sunday, because that's the day of resurrection. Something happened. And so we have faith that something happened. So we trust in that. So, so what are we supposed to do? How do, we, how do we navigate expectations? Well, there's another word I'd like to add to the idea, and that's the word anticipation. It's a little bit different nuance than expectation. Uh, when, I, when I speak of anticipation as someone who is trying to uh, know a God that really is not these non-gods, I have to anticipate that he's a part of my life, that he's out there, that he's on the move, that he's doing something. So even when my expectations aren't met and they're wrong or, or there's some delay, I want to switch over and say, I want to anticipate. I want to anticipate that God is going to, in a sense, show up and be a part somehow, some way. And uh, sometimes what's hard is we have to, to wait. And some of the fun of anticipation is in the waiting. I know that uh, when Cindy and I have had to either save up for something and uh, just not gone out and bought it, we save up for something for six months, maybe a year, and then we get it. There's some anticipation. I know as kids or when we would plan out vacations and things like that with our kids, it, it, there was something, something wonderful about the anticipation. And so there's something powerful in the waiting. We want to make sure, again, that we're waiting for the right God, that we haven't drawn a picture of God that doesn't exist. But as we're waiting, we need, we need to have this anticipation. And a part of this idea is that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Uh, they're, not, they're not God's denials in the sense that he exists, he's out there. Uh, something else is going on. When you and I are put in the tension of those dark nights of the soul that I mentioned earlier, 
uh, we're, we're placed where we're, we're, there's a delay, there's, there's a waiting, there's, a, there's an anticipation. Uh, th- that's okay. Uh, it doesn't mean that we deny that he's out and about, that he's real. In Romans 5, 3, we read this. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us to learn to be patient. Something good happens in the anticipation, into the leaning in to who God really is. That's why we need to be always learning about God, not just for information's sake, sense but information that transforms it's not information it's transformation so so but we lean in and we anticipate and for those of us who would say we're christ followers really our greatest anticipation is when we come to meet jesus meet god face to face when this life chapters of life is over and the next chapter begins this other stuff is is all gravy it's all extra that's where we're going but so we, we, we walk through this life with anticipation. And this anticipation gives us, gives us patience. And patience develops a strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. You see, something fantastic is happening in the anticipation. When it's just expectations that are unmet when it's expectations that are built on a picture of who god is and he really isn't that god uh, that that just that just leaves us deflated it 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 leaves us crushed it leaves us getting it out of the mouth as quickly as we can It, it leads us to somewhere on the on the spectrum of just being engaged but keeping our cards close to our, our chest because we don't want to risk too much because God's not going to come through and it comes to the other extreme where we just walk away from everything. You see, in that anticipation, we need to understand that many delays are divine delays and God has a purpose for the not yet. Just think of some of the not yets. Maybe you're in one of those moments where you're experiencing a not yet. There's a purpose in that. There's a purpose in it. God is doing something inside you and me. And this is not just a clever way to be positive thinking. Oh, it's just not or not yet, so I can, I can live with it. God does some things. God often wants to do something in you before he does something for you. I can think of some of the things that uh, Cindy and I have gone through, and it seemed like a delay But I didn't think it was a denial, and I thought I had a good picture of who God was. So we waited in anticipation. And in that waiting, he did something in us before he did something for us. I talked to you before about this, that, uh, you know, when we, Cindy and I got married, uh, it was eight years before we had kids. Some of that was designed, but then by the end of it, we wanted to have kids. Uh, miscarriage, want to have kids. And all of a sudden, bang, we got twins, and then 18 months, we got another one. So, so, but, but God did something in us for those eight years. It was actually kind of fun just to be the two of us, too, for a few. But anyway, but uh, so, so, but, uh, you know, when, when we wanted kids, he was doing something in us. 
You think of some of the things that you want, you expect or hopefully anticipate. You want him to move. Maybe it's the new job. Maybe it's this new chapter of life, whatever it may be. Maybe, maybe it's because something God wants to do in you before he does something for you. When you don't see sense action, it doesn't mean God isn't in motion. Like to say this at Christmas time, there have been 400 years of silence. And just because God seemed to be silent didn't mean he was still. You see, there's just because you don't sense it doesn't mean nothing's happening. Uh, sometimes when I take inventory of my own life and uh, I write some of my thoughts down from time to time, I'm not a big journaler, but I do write some of my thoughts down from time to time, and, and I go back and, and I don't think anything's happening in my life, let's say spiritually, and I go back and I can actually see progress. It didn't seem like anything was happening, but something was happening because I look at the way I thought back then, and I look at the way I think now. Something's changed. You see, action it, it, just because you and I don't set action doesn't mean God isn't in motion. And see, that's going from expectation, an expectation in a God that really doesn't exist, into anticipation to a God that does exist. And when we start to get our minds around that and we start to hold on to that, we find that if God continuously met your expectations, he wouldn't have a chance to exceed them. And I've seen some moments where my expectation, my dream, my plan was too small. Was too small. I didn't anticipate enough from God working in my life. Working through with. And then all of a sudden, if he had given me what I had wanted, if he had been that God on demand and given me A instead of B, life would be smaller doesn't always happen this way, but a lot of times what I wanted wasn't as great as it could be. Just think of some of the things you've prayed for over the years. If God had given you those things, you'd be stuck today. Guys, think of that first girl you loved and you wanted to marry. If you were married to her, life wouldn't be the way it is, would it? I can think of that. Think of that job you wanted. If you if you had gotten that job, all of a sudden it was a dead job. All of a sudden, six months later, they're laying off, and that would have been you. There are times where the delay, the anticipation is because he wants to do something in us first rather than for us, but it's also an opportunity for him to exceed our anticipation. You see, this tension of Palm Sunday lives in us all the time. It's a part of the human condition. Unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations, uh, expectations from someone who, who doesn't exist. It's a change to anticipation because, because when it doesn't, an unmet expectation either is a surprise, and that's tied to the anticipation, or, or a demise. Because um, it, it kills. It kills a piece of our faith, or maybe it kills our faith completely because we expected something that, that wasn't real, and so it demises. Or if we can switch it over to anticipation, 
it surprises. Paul goes on to write, this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how God dearly loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us connection with himself to fill our hearts with his love. So we have to ask ourselves, when we're in this anticipation mode, what's going on? And we need to realize that in the waiting, there is never waste. With God, waiting is never wasted. And so if we really get our ideas behind that, our, our, our thinking behind that, and we go, wow, in my anticipation, it's not a waste, we have to ask ourselves, how are we waiting? We ask ourselves, are we, are we waiting with God? Are we waiting with the true God? Are we waiting with the God that has, is expected but is not real? Are we waiting with God? For some of us, that may mean you have never said yes to Jesus. You've never asked him into your life. You've never said, God, I, I want to give you my life because you gave your life for me. I, I believe you gave your life. I believe you rose again. It's, it's documented all over. It was an event. And so I'm believing in that God, trusting in that God, and I'm going to wait with you. I'm waiting with you. If, if, it, it starts there. Then we have to ask ourselves, who are we waiting with? I don't know about you, but I need to wait with others. This thing called faith is not a, a, a single-player event. I wait with others. Others encourage me. Others help me wait. I help others wait in anticipation for what God is doing. And lastly, a little bit different way of saying verse one or the first question is, is God waiting for you? Is God, are you waiting with God? Yes, okay. Are you not are you waiting with God? No, but maybe, maybe God is waiting for you. Maybe your anticipation and all of that is just based in, in, in things that just are not going to pan out. And, and God is just waiting for you. In Isaiah, we read this. Yet the Lord still waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love. He will conquer you to bless you. I don't know if I like that. He'll, he'll let the bottom of life fall out to bless you. He'll let you see that your expectations are in the wrong things. He'll, he'll let you come to the end of your rope so you can see that he's the rope. Conquer you to bless you, just as he said, for the Lord is faithful to his promises. Blessed are all those who wait for him, who anticipate him, rather than expect him to work in a way he said or be a person, be a God he's never claimed to be. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about Palm Sunday, and it's so many years ago, 2000, give or take a year, and we think about all that went on, our first, our first inclination is to just be all over those people. How can they go from Hosanna, God save us, to crucify him just a few days later? And we may not go to that extreme, but in a sense, uh, we can keep you at arm's distance because you don't meet our expectations. And because you don't meet our expectations, uh, we just totally back off from you. We go back to, quote-unquote, fishing like some of the disciples did. Father, help us to come to terms with who you are. Help us to grow in our knowledge of who you are, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Help us know you by experiencing you. Help us to get to the place where we have a, always a sense of anticipation 
Father, we're thankful that you're patient with us. We're thankful that you work with us. And I ask just to ask for my friends in this room this morning that wherever we're at, we would see you making a difference in our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.